She is an internationally renowned kazoo conductor, a professional kindergartner, renegade children's musician, and according to the internet and every parent I've ever met, she may have also written and illustrated a handful of books, too. She's wearing a blue hat, green scarf, red pants. Oops, no, she's not. Welcome to the Edcast, Andrew Boynton. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. So we've got some hidden treats in that introduction for the fans out there. And I've read several interviews as prep for our discussion. We're going to try and dig a little deeper and throw you some knuckleballs if you're ready to swing. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah, okay, this is going to hurt my chances for being president, but that's okay. Go ahead. Okay, fair enough. We'll start serious. Sandra. Yes. What's the biggest difference between happiness and hipponess, or are they one and the same? They're pretty much identical. Um, there really is no significant difference. When the founding fathers were, were framing the whatever that is, no, it's a declaration of independence. Um, anyway, um, it really, they meant to say hipponess, and they said happiness, and it sort of became, it sort of stuck. It just became a thing. We can start to correct it today. No, I think we should just leave it the way they have it. It's okay. Sandra, creatively, your output is whimsical, it's eclectic, it's music, books, writing, illustrating, all in different forms. Who or what is your artistic muse, and has it evolved through the years? What stokes the creative fires? Uh-oh. Um, I don't know. I think fear of having to get a real job is a significant motivator, so you just keep doing this, saying, I really hope I'm not going to have to do a resume and apply for anything, because it's just not going to work out. Uh, Sesame Workshop, other children's programming, it develops content with a strong sort of curricular foundation. It's not just Muppets randomly singing, but there's teaching masked in the performance. I'd love to ask the question, do you approach your work with kids learning in mind? But we at Harvard are contractually obligated to frame the question this way. Is there scaffolding and developmentally appropriate pedagogical perspectives involved in the formative evaluation of your early childhood oeuvre? Um. <clears throat> Oof. Um, <laughs> you know what? I didn't know how to pronounce that word, and I practiced I'm, it about 10 I times. I know. I'm and sorry. I, and you I just, messed it up. Yeah, you did. I think the pedagogy uh, is not serving you well right now. Um, this is when I shouldn't say I'm an alum of this school. Okay. I, okay. Um, I guess, uh, if I can remember your question, um, I am suspicious of things being identified as educational versus non-educational. To me, everything is potentially educational. Anything that's worthwhile um, and interesting is educational. So I'm really suspicious of that, and I don't frame any of my work to be specifically educational. What's the sort of starting point for your work? Does it have to bring you joy? Do you think it's something your audience will like? Does it have to meet your sort of requirements, your specifications? How does it go? It's really only for me when I'm writing it. Um, I think children's book writers especially tend to be um, absurdly in touch with their own childhood. And so when I'm doing it, I really don't have audience in mind most of the time. I'm basically, and I, so I don't think of my work actually as being for any particular age or not for any particular age. It's a, it's a certain amount of self-delusion in that, really. It's just for very young children. But um, no, I, I really, I, I think um, a long time ago, there was a program, which you may or may not know being young people, but um, Rocky and Bullwinkle was yeah, sure. phenomenal in um, you know, if you have a character named Boris Badenoff in it, I don't think many, you know, five-year-olds are understanding the reference to right. But um, and I, I like, um, I like things that are layered and that speak to for for me personally. I mean, that's the work I like best is things that um, you know have have layers and nuance. 
A colleague posted on social media before your talk, they wrote, quote, tonight for the first time since my son was born, I will be attending a talk at Harvard where I am the person in the room that is well-versed in the subject matter and incredibly knowledgeable about the body of work. Hashtag hippos go berserk. Awesome. <laughs> are you ever surprised <laughs> that you've written children's books that are read and spontaneously and gleefully sung as they're being read with the same enjoyment of parents as they are being enjoyed by happy children? Well, um, I'm sorry, what's the question? Are you I, ever I, surprised about that? That, you know, you're writing, you're writing them thinking from your own sort of perspective, tapping in your inner child, but then they're enjoyed by the five-year-old as much as they are by the 30 or 40-year-old. Well, when I encounter that, I mean, I, they don't let me out in the world much. I'm just in my studio and they lock the, no. Um, I, Who's the they, by the way? Me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, it's... <clears throat> It's very gratifying. It is gratifying to when I run into people and suddenly realize that the you know book makes a difference to them or to their child. It's very gratifying. Um, it's not my overt intention, um, and I'm pleased that it works that way. So enjoying your books uniquely combines play and reading. And is that sort of kinetic learning more ways than one? I'm wondering when you hear them read out loud, do they sound the way you wrote them? And has any of your work ever taken on a life of its own beyond the sort of artistic expectations you had when you wrote it? Like, are we pronouncing things wrong? Is the cadence wrong? Is the tone wrong? Or is, it, is there no right or wrong? Oh my goodness, there's definitely a right or wrong. Um, it, I don't actually hear my books read that often um, out loud. Um, it has occasionally driven me crazy if someone really doesn't get the rhythm of the book, but I partly feel that's got to be my failure if it's not, if the rhythm isn't inevitable. Um, so I don't know how to answer that. Most of you are getting it so perfectly right, and then there are a few of you out there just not, just not cutting it. Just, I'm just saying. Like my pronunciation of oeuvre. Sorry. Now I'm just joking. <laughs> Where the Wild Things Are is a popular children's book, obviously made into a Spike Jones movie. Let's turn our attention to Moo Ba La La La. <laughs> 10 second pitch on how that could be 2016's next Hollywood blockbuster hit. And I wanna know who stars and who directs in it. And if you need some time to think, I can extend the question with, it's quiet now, what do you say? I'm thinking Spike Jones should be coming to me. I mean, I'm not gonna go like pitch this. It seems to me Spike Jones gotta be coming to me. So, you know, I'm waiting. Okay, Spike Jones, I'm sure you're listening to the Harvard Education Podcast. A couple rapid-fire last questions. How can the world, either through schools or at home, produce or enable more Sandra Boyntons to thrive with such a love of arts? Um, well, I think, um, I think there needs to be more joy in classrooms. How do you get joy in classrooms? Um, not teaching to tests would be a really good idea. Um, I think playfulness is uh, disappearing, um, and and I don't just mean kindergarten and you know pre-kindergarten or whatever. I mean right on through, maybe even here at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I know hard to imagine, but I think people have lost some sense of playfulness. Um, I also was lucky enough to go to a school where arts were absolutely at the center of the curriculum. Um, and the school had been part of a famous study that is no longer 
um, much known um, and should be called the eight-year study, uh, this was in the 30s and 40s, about what happens when you put arts at the center of a curriculum. Academically, what happens? Um, you know, people thrive at, um, in all areas of academics um, when arts are taken seriously and not put into, you know, you have it once a week. Um, and so I, th I guess that's my, there, um, that was my soapbox. Yeah, it's a good one to be on. Uh, whether you have a new book or a new song about to be shared with the world, do you get nervous whether people will like it? And how do you measure success now after already sort of being affirmed millions and millions of times over? Oh my goodness, I, I want people to like it, but in a funny way, it's whether, it's already working or, if it's not working, I don't put it out there. And that doesn't mean, by the way, I can look back at something 10 years later and go, ooh, I missed that. I didn't get it right. Um, but when I put it out, I've waited till I feel I've gotten it right. And in the workshop process, what, is the, what are the sort of layers in which you, you work it out with yourself, team, collaborators? Well, when I do music, I'm uh, mostly working, um, you know, my songwriting or producing partner, uh, Michael Ford. We are, we've been working together for 20 years now on music, and it's, it's an exhilarating, I mean, to, to find a collaborator is an extraordinary thing. Um, and, you know, if I'm, doing, uh, if I'm doing a book, I'm doing it on my own. Um, and I like both things very much. I like working on my own and just keep uh, trying to get it right. Um, but I also love the process of collaboration, and I love working with the singers that we've worked with. I mean, I originally thought I was going to be a theater director, and in a funny way, I've come full circle, and I am a theater director um, in a different kind of in a different kind of way. You've worked with a myriad of different singers. Who's who's on your sort of bucket list? Who's the next person you want to work with? Oh my goodness! Well, I would love to work with Mark Knopfler, um, but I don't think it's going to happen. Um, I, I'm pretty sure he's a listener of this show. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. Put okay. it in. Okay, good. Him and Spike uh, Jones, two okay, of our good. main followers. Absolutely. That's that's what I figure. <laughs> tell me who's out there, and I'll tell you who it is. I want. Um, I don't know. I I have I have a long list of people I'd like to work with. Some are actors, and some are singers, and some are both. Um, and. I've been really lucky that a lot of the collaborations I want to do have come about. Um, this new album I'm doing is turning out quite different um, than the other ones um, and seems maybe more actor actor who can sing oriented, I'm not sure yet, um, which is peculiar because it's actually an album of dance music. So I don't know why it's going that direction, but time will tell. So when asked about your current passion, your answer is very occasionally chocolate, <laughs> dark chocolate. Um, we have chocolate for you. Oh, whoa. Uh, this is a podcast, so it, it's hard to tell, but it's a giant, like, five-pound chocolate. Wow. Okay. This is so, a grand bunny of chocolate. Sandy. Wow. Awesome. And it's, and it's an animal, this? right? So I get to keep this, or I have to answer a question? It's just a prop for the show. We take it back when we stop I understand. Recording. I understand. Okay. But you can eat as much as you can while we're I, still I knew recording. That. I knew. Crack I, I was going to start. Okay. okay. So there's your giant bunny of chocolate. Thank you. What is the next passion for Sandra Boynton now that you have chocolate? And uh, if your answer is more chocolate <laughs> here, what is the answer after that? This is amazing. Two chocolate bunnies. I hardly dared hope. I hardly dared hope. And there's about 40 seconds left, so you okay. know, start unwrapping. Uh, <laughs> um, the, the crinkle sound isn't good for radio. No, I, that's I, true. That's, right. that um, that's going to be a pain for yeah, me. Well, although it would sound like a fire, actually. That's, that's how right. they used to get the fire effect. So after chocolate, <laughs> and then more chocolate, what's the next passion? I was trying to use up the 45 okay. seconds you said were left. <laughs> the doors are locked, Sandy. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. Um, um, Gee, I don't know. Um, 
Um, um, um. What is another art? I mean, have you tried? Like, what is another artistic expression that you could try? Because you seem to have succeeded in almost all of them. Yeah. Illustrate, writing, music. You know, film directing, keep going, film, stage all directing, stuff, stage directing I, uh, drama, everything. Is there anything left? Stand-up comedy. Oh, that would be terrifying. Try it right now. No, it's got a friendly audience. I thought I was trying. <laughs> okay, I think this is falling flat. Okay, never it's, mind. It's very experimental. Thank you very much. You've been a wonderful audience. <laughs> New age comedy. <laughs> I think that's the point for me to say, well, the moon is high, the sea is deep. And I fear our listeners rock and rock and rock to sleep. So now, dear Sandra, it is time to go. Thank you for being a guest on our show. Thank you. Do I need to rhyme? We're out of time. Oh, she nailed it. 